I'm excited to be able to jump back in to our Who I Am series with you all after being gone for a week on vacation. And before we dig into John 10, 11 and the verses following, that's where we'll be, um, as you're making your way there, I want to tell you something that happened to us a few days ago. Uh, it was um, around breakfast time. We were eating outside on our patio at the condo and the resort where we were staying. And I looked over. I was looking around, you know, enjoying nature, seeing all the sights. We had deer all over the place. They'd come right up to the steps. So I was looking at them, you know, oh, nice and serene. This is just perfect. And I look over. And there it was. There it was. I mean, it. You want to know what it was? Was that Dan? Did you say that? It wasn't just a skunk. This thing was like the rodents on Princess Bride. I mean, this was like the mother of all skunks. And... I mean, it was coming at me, and it had its eyes right on me, glued. And I jumped over the banister, and I said, Babe, get the kids inside. I'll handle this. Of course, that's not what happened at all. (laughs) And the skunk, okay, I'll be honest, it was like like itty-bitty, okay? It was a small, small skunk. And it was probably about, instead of being, you know, six feet long, like I maybe made it sound like it was probably six feet away from me. Um, but I still jumped up in, in a panic and said, get inside, quick, because it was, it was coming, you know, kind of slowly. But it was coming. It was coming our way. And so I, I very heroically told the kids to get inside, and I stood outside to get all of our stuff in. I rescued the computer and all the books, and, uh, and my wife thanked me profusely. She said, I really appreciate that you, you went out there and you rescued our computer and, and, and rescued the books and made us get inside so that if it was going to spray, it would spray you. I said, hey, anytime, anytime. I mean, I'm thinking of getting t-shirts made, actually. Um, maybe, maybe. But you know, that, that little, silly, little silly story, um, which was at first embellished, uh, it, it really does make a point, I think, and the point is that we all, all of us, appreciate knowing that there is someone to stand between us and danger or uncertainty. We all want to know that. We all want to know that no matter what I face, there's someone I can count on to stand between me and fear and uncertainty and danger and anxiety Right? We want to know that. That's why we all like the stories we like. The books and the movies where there's a hero. And that hero is obvious. I mean, it's obvious who the hero of the story is. And they always come through, don't they? You know, and they, they always can be counted on to be there. They can always be counted on to always reveal the bad guys for what they really are all while keeping the people around them safe and secure. And I think one reason we like those stories so much is because real life doesn't usually work out that way, right? I mean, our experiences in real life are often completely opposite of that. And that's why 
I think it makes that much more of a difference. And that's what makes it all the more refreshing and encouraging when there is someone who genuinely cares about us and goes to great lengths to make sure we're okay. Makes all the difference in the world. And as we continue in John 10, starting with verse 11, we're going to see a stark contrast between the Pharisees and their lack of genuine care and sacrificial leadership and the way Jesus selflessly cares for and perfectly protects his sheep. It's a continuation of the contrast earlier in the chapter, in chapter 10, that Kevin Traub talked about last week when I was on vacation, which I so appreciate him doing and, and so appreciate the way he handled that part of the series and the text. Thank you so much, Kevin. Really, really meant a lot. And it, it's just a continuation of what he highlighted in the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees around him in that chapter. John 10, 11. Go ahead and look there. John 10, 11. This is the fourth I am statement that we will look at in this series, the I am statements. By now, I would think, I would hope anyway, that you know and remember what that means, that when, when Jesus says, I am, the first part, he's saying, I am divinity, I'm deity, I am God. And then he follows it up with a very specific metaphor that lets us know because he is God, he is uniquely and exclusively able to be the complete source of everything we ever need or could want. And because of who and what he is, it impacts and changes and shapes who and what we are. That's the whole point of these statements. So with that in mind, John 10, 11, the first part of the verse, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. The Greek word that is used here for good in the first part of verse 11 is kalos, kalos, K-A-L-O-S. And it refers, it refers to being good not only in the sense of a strong morality or in being honest or, or kind. It, that's usually the way we think of good, right? Like strong morality, a strong moral center, kind, honest, caring, that kind of thing. But this word kalos, it doesn't really refer to that. It actually speaks more to being magnificent. It speaks to magnificence, excuse me, excellence, a superiority. It it really says that, that this is excellent on all levels. It's high above anything else. It's the ultimate. It's the maximum. It's it. So Jesus is saying here by, by this phrase, he's saying, because I am God, I am uniquely, supremely the shepherd, the excellent one. And what a great contrast indeed that is compared to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were supposed to be shepherding Israel and to be good shepherds but they failed miserably, miserably. So what I want you to do in your handout that you hopefully have from the bulletin you received, go ahead and write in there at the top, or at the, the, the top of the other blanks there, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. 
Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Write that in there. That's very important to understand. That's really what he's saying by saying, I am the good shepherd. That's what's wrapped up in that. The ultimate shepherd. And anytime we, we talk about something being the ultimate, means you can't get any higher than it. You can't go any farther. It's, it's the highest level of whatever you're talking about, whether that's a thing or, or a person. You can't go any higher. You can't go any farther. That's it. That's the maximum. And Jesus certainly is the ultimate, ultimate shepherd. So the question is, what makes him stand apart? What specifically sets him apart from all the rest? What sets him apart from the Pharisees and the scribes and all the religious leaders? What, what makes him so good? And how is his supreme goodness on display? Well, we know that he is the ultimate shepherd, the supreme shepherd, for, because for his sheep, he first of all made the ultimate sacrifice. He made the ultimate sacrifice. Any good shepherd who truly is a caring, good shepherd doing what they're supposed to do will step in between their sheep and the danger coming at it. They'll always do that. Think of David, you know, the shepherd boy David, back in the Old Testament. When he went before Saul and he said, I'm going to take on this giant Goliath, Saul was like, what, what can you bring to the table? What do you know about fighting? And David said, well, I don't, maybe I don't fight in a war. Maybe I'm not a soldier, but as a shepherd, I protected my sheep against a bear, and I protected them against a lion. I got rid of both of them. That wasn't any trouble, so I think this giant's not going to be any different. He, he stepped in between the bear coming at his sheep and the lion coming at his sheep, and that's what a good shepherd will always do, even if it means the ultimate sacrifice is paid even if it means their life gets laid down on the line. They're willing to do it. If they really care about their sheep, if they really take ownership in what they're supposed to be doing. And that's certainly true of the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. Looking again at verse 11, John 10, 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and here's what, what he qualifies that with. Here, here's how you know he really is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life. And once again, I, I need to, to have you understand what really is being said here. The Greek word used for life in the last part of verse 11 here is suke. It's P-S-U-C-H-E. P-S-U-C-H-E. And it's actually the word for soul. Soul. It, it, it speaks of the whole person. And what that means is, Jesus didn't just lay down his physical life, as our thinking related to his sacrifices is often limited to or focused on. You know, we, we hear the phrase that Jesus laid down his life, or we think about him laying down his life, we think of the physical life, right? We think of the fact that he died on the cross. We think of the fact that he literally stopped breathing, that kind of thing. But it's not, it's not really talking about that. Rather, rather, when Jesus says here that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he's saying, I'm going to lay down my very soul. It's his very essence. His whole person goes much deeper than just the physical life. 
down to his very soul. What that means for us, what that means for you if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian here today, you've made the decision to trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you've surrendered your life to him, what that means is, my fellow brother and sister, our Savior, our Savior sacrificed his soul to save ours. That should just astound you. To think that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the creator of all things, came to this earth and he took on humanity. And yes, he went to the cross where he died, but it went so much deeper and farther than just a physical death. It came to the point of his soul. He sacrificed his soul to save ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul talks about this concept, and he says this, For our sake, he, the Father, speaking of the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Remember, Jesus, prior to going to the cross, he had never once sinned or been in entertaining sin. He, he was just as much of a holy being who hated sin as the Father. He had never taken on sin anywhere close to his essence or his existence. And then, now, on the cross, he actually became sin. He took all of our sin, yours, mine, and every human, every human to ever live, took all of their sin on himself and actually became sin in the sight of the Father. All, as the rest of the verse says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was a great exchange that took place. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we who know nothing but sin could actually become the righteousness of God. That's what happened at the cross and that's what caused Jesus to be so overwhelmed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know the passage, probably know the story where he's in the garden right before he's arrested and he's praying and he's in agony and he's sweating drops of blood. And he says to his disciples, please stay, keep watch with me, stay with me, keep watch with me because my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. That's what he was talking about. He's talking about the fact that shortly he was going to actually become sin. He was going to be the sin sacrifice for all of us. One who had never known sin in all of his eternal existence would now be looked at by his father as sin itself and judged with wrath and, and judgment all for us. Also that we wouldn't have to be. The ultimate shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, which Jesus is, made the ultimate sacrifice for very undeserving sheep. Very undeserving sheep. And this shows, this shows just how much we are loved by Jesus. I mean, if we never received any other blessing from Jesus, to know that we are loved by him to this degree, to this level, that should be enough. Because no one else will ever love us as much as this. No one will ever love us as unconditionally as this. We all know what it is to have people who love us. Whether that's a spouse or a mom or a dad or a grandparent or, or children. And it's good to be loved. 
I mean, I love to be loved, don't you? Of course you do. Of course you do. And you know how great it is to not just hear I love you, but to see it on display, right? That's what really matters. That's what makes the difference. Because we can all say, oh, I I love you, I love you, I love you. We can say those words, but unless they are followed up by action, they just really don't quite have the same significance, right? Right? Yeah, thank you. See, they know what I'm talking about. They know what I'm talking about. And as as much as I might be able to show my loved ones that I love them, as much as I might be able to do that, and as much as they show me that they love me by, by what they do, nothing, nothing will ever compare to the measure of love expressed to all of us by what Jesus did. He didn't just say, I love you. He showed it by stretching his arms out on the cross and not just dying a physical death. I mean, all kinds of people died a physical death on the cross. That was the cross's whole point, to kill its victims, and it did so every time. It was 100% successful. So that in itself isn't significant, really. What's significant is that the person that died on that cross was the eternal creator of the world who took on flesh to give it in death, but not just physically to die, to die to experience the spiritual death that all of us were destined to die. He died to the point of his soul, breaking and being crushed. All for us, all for you and me. And if he did nothing else, if he did nothing else, that should be enough. But that's not all we receive from him. I mean, what an amazing Savior we have. Because that would have been enough. It would have been. For all of eternity, that would have been enough. But that's not all we receive from him. It's not all. Not only did he make the ultimate sacrifice but he also makes the ultimate relationship possible. He makes the ultimate relationship possible. Look at John 10, verses 14 through the first part of 15. Then we'll also glance down at verse 27, also later in the chapter. John 10, 14. Jesus says, he repeats the same statement, the same claim, I am the good shepherd. And here's another qualifier to that. Here's another way you can know that he is the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, the supreme shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Then in verse 27, jump ahead a little bit. Verse 27 says this, my sheep Listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. I know my sheep, Jesus says, and my sheep know me just as, just as. Pay attention to that. That's significant. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. What our Savior is saying to us my brothers and my sisters, is that Jesus is giving us the ability, as the ultimate shepherd, he gives us the ability to really know him. I mean, think about that. 
we have the ability to really, truly, deeply know Jesus, the creator, the savior, the sustainer of the world. We can really know him. Not just know about him, as we would know any other historical figure, but to know him. Him. And to be completely known by him. Not just to know him on our end, but to be completely known by him personally, deeply, in a similar way as he and his father have known and loved one another for eternity in perfect unity. I mean, this is just absolutely astounding that Jesus invites us in with us being who and what we are and him being who and what he is and yet inviting us in, come, know me. I mean, really know me. I I want that. I want you to know me. Please. I'm open. I'm available to you. This this goes far beyond simply an intellectual or a theological knowledge about Jesus. And it provides us the opportunity to know his heart. To know the heart of Jesus. (laughs) It, It provides us the opportunity for us to know his desire and his will for our lives or every aspect of it. And that's what we all want. We all want to know that we're, we're following the path that we need to follow. We all want to know how we can determine his will for our lives. We all want to know what his desire for us is. If, if we're really in Christ, if you're really a believer, that's what's going to be a desire of your heart. And he says, yes, I I want you to know that too. Come, know me. Come, learn my heart. Come, know my desires, that my desires will be in you as well. Psalm 37, 4 speaks of that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Not because it's selfish desires that he just says, oh, well, since you desire it so much, I'll just grant it. No, because you're going to be desiring what he desires. If you're in him, delighting in him, focusing on him, loving him, knowing him, then you're going to learn his heart. And what's in his heart is going to also be in yours. And then he's happy to grant you that desire because it's his anyway. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what he invites us and calls us to do. Come, know me deeply. Come, know my heart. He invites us and he makes it available for us to experience his eternal, unfathomable love in every aspect of life in a constant and increasing way. And think about this. Because Jesus is God, he knows everything, right? You agree with that? That's pretty obvious, right? He's omniscient, knows all things. It means he knows us completely, you and me, better than anyone else can know us. You know, my, my wife knows me pretty well. She knows me, in many cases, really even better than I know myself because she's able to, to spot, you know, like maybe an emotional aspect that I'm, I'm exhi- uh, exhibiting that I'm not even aware of. Or maybe she knows that I'm going to feel a certain way about something before I even feel it. You know, she's good like that. And that comes from knowing me, from being with me all these years and just knowing me very deeply, very personally, intimately. She knows me inside and out, but there's depths of me, just like there are depths of you, that not even the closest person to you knows, not really, but Jesus does. He knows you down to the very last 
fiber and core of your being. He knows you entirely. He knows the good, but even more significant, he knows the bad. He knows the dark corners of your soul, your heart, your mind, that no one else ever knows, that you never let anyone else into. He knows every thought you've had that wasn't right. He knows every motive that was selfish, even though it looked like it was pure to everyone else. He knows us entirely down to the muck. But he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. And he loves us perfectly. And he loves us eternally. That's the love we have from our Savior. So not only did he make the ultimate sacrifice as the ultimate shepherd, but he also makes the ultimate relationship possible that should never be possible to us, but because of him and through him and by him, it is. And then finally, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd because for his sheep he maintains the ultimate security. He maintains the ultimate security. Look at John 10, 28. John 10, 28 says this. Jesus speaking still. And he says this, I give them, I give them, speaking of those that are in him, those that are his, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that the news we all long to hear, that there is one who will always provide security and safety no matter what? There is. It's in Jesus. And what we need to understand, Christian, is that just as we could do nothing to save ourselves, just as we could do nothing to save ourselves, which makes salvation a complete work of God apart from us, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, clearly, clearly communicates it, just as that is true, we can do nothing, nothing to make ourselves unsaved. You with me? We could do nothing to save ourselves. It's a complete work of God apart from us, and therefore we can do nothing to unsave ourselves because it's with God, it's not with us. It was never dependent on us. And it's never anything that we can manipulate at the start, at the middle, or at the end. It's a complete work of God. We can do nothing to unsave ourselves, and neither can anyone else. That's what he says there. No one can snatch or pluck them out of my hand. We will always, hear me on this, hear me, we will always, always be powerless to save ourselves and likewise we will never be powerful enough to remove the salvation that Jesus provides. Do you agree with that? I hope you do because that's, that's, that's what the Bible clearly communicates over and over and over and that's what Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, is saying right here. If they're in me, I give them eternal life. They don't give themselves eternal life. I give it to them, and I keep it with them, and I keep them in that eternal life. They're in my hand, and no one, not even themselves, are going to be able to remove them or the salvation I provide. 
This is the security that Jesus, our Savior, the Good Shepherd, makes possible and personally maintains. He makes this possible, and he personally maintains it. I want, I want to just have you listen to this verse from Hebrews 7.25. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And as you hear this, maybe you recognize the reference, and you think, oh, yeah, I love that verse too. I hope that's true, because this is a verse to love, let me tell you. If you, you need to focus in on this verse. Memorize this verse, Hebrews 7.25, and bring it up again and again because, Christian, at some point there's going to be a time where you wonder, am I really saved? I mean, really, am I? And the enemy is going to whisper those, those, those things in your ear and in your mind and your heart. Man, I don't know. Could, could somebody that's really saved do that and still be saved? Could somebody that's saved really think that and still be saved? I mean, I don't know. And you're going to start to wonder. This verse will remind you of the solid rock that is your salvation because it's not up to you. It depends on your Savior. And it's going to be able to comfort you and encourage you. But also, also, this verse will be able to be used by you to encourage one another. Maybe there's a brother or sister who just struggles with the concept or the reality of eternal security in their salvation. Like maybe it just weighs on them and they just find it really hard to accept. Can I really be saved forever? This verse answers all that. You ready for it? Here we go. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able once and forever. You catch that? Once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever. And think of like the Sandlot movie, right? With the kid forever. I mean, emphasize that in your mind. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. On whose behalf? On those that are His. On those that are in Him. On His sheep. On those that are truly part of Him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And He's able once and forever to save those who come to Him. Isn't that awesome? There is no one like our Savior. No one like the ultimate shepherd. That's who Jesus is. You are loved eternally. You are kept eternally in that love by Jesus, the great I am, the good shepherd. Now, hearing and knowing and believing all this, it's not going to just magically make your problems and trials just disappear, okay? There's no guarantee of that happening. But what is guaranteed... What is guaranteed is that in Christ, you will always have a hero, the hero, the ultimate shepherd, who will always selflessly, sacrificially love, lead, guide, and protect you through every situation you face. That's what's guaranteed. So draw near to him. Surrender to him. Know him and love him. And serve him. Serve him. By proclaiming his goodness as long as you have breath. Because there are still millions of lost sheep who need to know the good shepherd that you do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today 
that is still outside of the good shepherd. They have not come to him. They have not drawn near to him. They have not embraced him as their own. They are still a lost sheep. I pray if that is true of anyone here that they would be so convicted by the truth of the word that they heard, not because it's me up here saying it, no, because it's your word, God, your eternal word, and it's your spirit who spoke all of this, who authored it. Because I'm just an instrument. I'm just a conduit through which the truth of God is conveyed. I pray that as they hear from your spirit, that they would not be able to just tune it out and ignore what they heard. That they would make the decision right now, here, today, to come to the ultimate shepherd, to come to Jesus, the great I am, the great shepherd who calls to them, come to me and find rest. Come to me, find security and safety. Come to me, find purpose. Come to me, find love. May they respond to his call right now, today. I ask this in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you would continue to work in hearts by your Spirit. For those of us who have already yielded our lives to Jesus and we can claim him as our shepherd, we know we're in him. Please, Father, remind us of his goodness to us always. Remind us of the fact that all that he is, he will always be. And we can always find in him everything we need and long for. Thank you most of all for the fact that our salvation does not rest on us or depend on us. It was not brought about by us. It's not maintained by us. It is all completely a work of you through your Son, given and sealed and maintained by the Spirit. Help us to find great comfort in that and help us to share that reality with others, I pray. Thank you for the truth we've heard today. May you Apply it personally and individually as we need it to be done by your spirit. And we'll praise you and thank you for it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.